Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. It's still morning. Feels like it. You can tell uh, that things have kind of changed, right? You know, I woke up this morning, it was really nice and cool. I came to church, it was in the 70s. That is an awesome change. I love that. I hope you've been having a good weekend. I hope you're getting some rest on maybe the school break vacation or getting some extra things done. Kind of been feeling like I've been waiting to work in my yard till it cools off, <laughs> right? I know all that kind of stuff is going on. Let me tell you about something, though, that we've been doing as a church, really, I think, really exciting. We have, uh, this is what we call Add One Sunday, and so in Add One Sunday, we ask you to add a dollar, just one dollar for every member of your family and onto your regular giving, and then we give that money away to the community in some form, so um, this is what we did with the Add One money um, last time. We built this handicap um, access ramp for a wheelchair and this little porch for a family that really, really needed this in the community. And they were just overwhelmed and really happy that we were able to provide that. It was really great for them, and it was good for us. We had about six or seven guys uh, put this together uh, this Saturday. They got it all done in one day, and that's exciting. That's the kind of stuff that we do with the Add One money. So um, you need to be a part of that. So add a dollar, we give it away, we add up the attendance, and we, uh, we use it for something really good. This is kind of a little bit uh, a, a bigger project, but um, we do stuff like that all the time, okay? So that's exciting, uh, I think, for us as a church, that we get to just do things for people that didn't even realize maybe that we would do something like that for them, Okay. So uh, we're getting ready to go uh, to Mexico on Monday and build a couple of homes. That's going to be really cool. So you can pray for our, our church as we go down there and build a couple of homes in Rocky Point. A really exciting thing, I think, for, uh, for us to do as a church. The, you saw the stuff out here, uh, you know, the trucks and everything. The, um, so our playground has been delivered right? Uh, it's been built and put, uh, delivered. Now we're going to put it together and all that kind of stuff. So that's really exciting. Our kids don't have to climb around on that trellis thing in the baptistry like that's the playground. So we're going to have actually stuff out there. That'll be really great. Really good stuff. And guys, this is coming right here, this uh, man steak night, right? On the 22nd, it's a really great event for guys. We, um, we eat steak we, we, don't, we don't eat any vegetables, and um, we also give away really great stuff in a form of a raffle, stuff that will hurt you or hurt somebody else, stuff that's dangerous a lot of times, so we like doing that because guys like to do that, right? Um, so uh, yeah, you could cut your finger off with the things that we give you, stuff like that. So that's important, guys that uh, you sign up for that early. Sign up for that early. Be different than you are. <laughs> and sign up early. You can get on your phone after the service and just do it right there, okay? Should be really great. And you get a great steak, and it's just a really good event. So um, <clears throat> today in the Gospel of Mark, 
Um, this is a really exciting story. I think that this story, it's just really a lot like the, I, I think the worship today in that it, it should be able to meet you exactly where you are, whether you um, have just been really, um, you, you know, things are going really well for you or things are not. Whether you're hurting, maybe even suffering, or you know people in your life that are. I think that this message today applies to uh, everyone in a unique way. We, um, we've been plowing through the book of Mark, and it's been so great, and Jesus has started a revolution, and we got through the point where he was teaching exclusively in parables, and those take a little bit of work to get your arms around and to understand. They're deep, they're rich, they're full of all kinds of purpose, but um, they take some work. They're, to, they're just not illustrations with good information in it. There's so much beyond that. Now, Jesus does something different uh, right here at the beginning of chapter 5. Actually, uh, we left off in the uh, end of chapter uh, 4, but there's a little story in there that parallels or echoes this story. So we're not going to focus on that. That part of the story is uh, Jesus is uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee. He's doing this intentionally to go to the... um, to the Decapolis or this side of the Sea of Galilee that where all the Gentile uh, towns and cities are, right? It's sort of hostile territory, um, uh, so to speak. But he goes across intentionally and this big, huge storm comes up, huge storm, all the waves, all the wind. It frightens the disciples that are with him like crazy. He's sleeping, whatever. So um, he, uh, he calms the wind and the sea. All right, he calms it and, and it scares the daylights out of the disciples. They, they, the, the, the scriptures declare that they are afraid to the point where like, who is this guy that could do this? So now we see uh, he's arrived at the shore. So let me ask you this question because uh, I think that we can get right into it. Let me, uh, um, let me ask you this because this is the way I feel. Actually, I feel this way fairly often. Have you ever felt like you're not doing very much to share the gospel? I mean, look, I, I, I preach and teach, you know, I'm leading a church, all that kind of stuff. So I engage that way, but in my own personal interactions, sometimes I feel like, man, I'm just not doing very much to share the gospel in my life personally. I feel like that actually maybe more than you might think. I know you must feel like that sometimes as well. When it really comes down to it, are you telling people your story? Are you sharing the gospel? Maybe you don't even know how to evangelize or do that. A lot of people don't, and they have fears about that because they're just afraid. Maybe you, you've had some small efforts, and they've just fallen on deaf ears. It's controversial. Maybe you've said some things. I say some things all the time, and it just changes everything. People get really uh, um, offended. I mean, it's like a big no-no to bring up God and Jesus in certain scenarios. Don't tell me that it's not, because I know that all you got to do is try to change the news channel at the place where you work sometimes, and people are like, oh, you know, and they get all mad about everything, you know. We should be watching CNN or, you know, Fox is the devil or, you know, MSNBC. You know, I I mean, all you got to do is choose a side like that, and that's controversial. Oh, bring up Jesus and start talking about Jesus. You can bring up Jesus sometimes in in your family around Thanksgiving. And people are like, hey, hey, this is about family and Thanksgiving. We don't need to talk about Jesus, right? Uh, This is the way it is in the world that we live in. Not everybody, but it becomes this thing where then we kind of, 
uh, pull back and we're awfully careful with how we present the gospel or share the gospel. We're not very bold because we're afraid. Well, this is what I think. I, I even find myself doing this. I think we're making it too complicated sometimes. We're just making it too complicated. You realize at this point, if you go back to the, just the, the chapters that we've read through with Mark, that Jesus calls his disciples, all right, and he says, follow me, I'm going to make you, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of people. I'll do that. So often, so often we are insecure and we take it upon ourselves, right, to... Um, that we're responsible for all that, but Jesus takes it upon himself to make us what he wants us to be. And he empowers us in such a great way that um, we don't need to be afraid, but we are. So what can Jesus, the, I, th- I think that, that, that as we read through this story, you, you should be able to answer this question. What can Jesus make of you? What can Jesus make of me? After an eventful journey across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his 12 disciples and other followers, by the way, other people follow him over there, they arrive on the East Shore, Gentile territory. These are not Jewish people. You know, they're not regular church people. These people don't believe, all right? And Jesus wants Israel, he wants Israel to be the light to the nations, Jesus wants the church now in the New Testament, us, he wants the church to be the light to the nations. You're going to see in this story that there are, it's like echoes of Old Testament, Israel, and New Testament church. You're going to see echoes of all kinds of things. You're going to see comparisons all throughout this story. So Jesus wants Israel to be the light to the nations. His dangerous mission, he wants, it, he wants to, it to be taken, this message of the kingdom of God, of Israel, to hostile territory. And I think that the message here that, that we're going to draw out of the text is, the text, is that he wants us to take the message, the good news, the gospel into hostile territory. But it almost ended in stormy seas. It almost ended right there in stormy seas. And the message uh, and the message faces another threat when Jesus comes to the shore. So chapter five, start in verse one. This is a fantastic story. Read along with me. Mark chapter five. So they came to the other side of the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, all these other names, right? To the region of, uh, of the Gerasenes. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat. A man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. So this is a guy that's kind of demon-possessed, right? He's messed up. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him or subdue him, right, anymore, not even with a chain. His hands and his feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces, So, man, this is a case, right? No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So when he saw Jesus from a distance, that's key, just at a distance, he ran 
and he bowed down before him. And then he cried out with a loud voice, leave me alone, Jesus, the son of the most high God. Now, that, that phrase, son of the most high God, that's an important phrase. Underline that. Jesus, son of the um, most high God. I implore you, by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirits. That's a little commentary by Mark. That's why it's in parentheses. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion. Now, if you watch the movies, this is a scary scene. You know, I don't know what, what that sounded like, but it didn't sound like me, right? For we are many. This is just like, yo, this is bad stuff, right? He begged Jesus repeatedly not to send him out of the region. That's weird. There on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding. That's actually sort of normal in that region, believe it or not. Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. So this is weird. Jesus says, okay. So the unclean spirits came out and they went into the pigs. Then the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake. About 2,000 were drowned in the lake. That would have been a sight. 2,000 pigs drowned in the lake. That's kind of crazy. You know, this isn't like our era where we're, we see in the movies all kinds of crazy stuff happen. This is real time, right? So verse 14, now the herdsmen ran off and they spread the news in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. This is big stuff, right? And everybody came out. They came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And the one who had the legion, and they were afraid. So, again, you know, this is craziness, and now these people are afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man reported it, and they also told about the pigs, because this is big news. And then they asked Jesus, this is awesome, they asked Jesus to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed, he asked if he could go with him. But Jesus didn't permit him to do so. He said, no. Instead, he said, go to your home, to your people, tell them what the Lord has done for you. Underline that. Tell them what the Lord has done for you, that he had mercy on you. Underline that. So he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for them. And all were amazed. Now, let me show you some pictures here. So you can go to this place, and this is from the boat, probably the area. It's a big area. You can't find the specific area. You're not going to find it. Okay? And everybody speculates and whatever. It's totally not necessary for it to be specific, but it's something like that. You go off on the other side of that, and if you ran a whole bunch of pigs over the edge, they would go into the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) Okay? Which is kind of crazy, right? And, and this is the Decapolis then, the, the, the map right here. So you can see the Sea of Galilee up there. And then you see all those red, uh, those cities in red, those are 10 cities. That's really what Decapolis means. It's a collection of 10 cities that are all sort of in unity of uh, 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 being a region, so to speak. Like this is the region of Decapolis. And it, Decapolis means 10, uh, basically, cities. So... This is where it is. So it's kind of a big place. Jesus is on the other side, you know, Capernaum and all that, where he's doing all these teachings. 
Uh, we, we've seen that, the Bay of Parables and other places. So he goes across the Sea of Galilee. It's big. It doesn't look like it there, but it's big. And uh, big storms can come up on there, and lots of craziness can happen, right? So <clears throat> what we see first is two kingdoms actually collide. What do you mean? The man or a man who possesses supernatural strength because of an unclean spirit, he rushes Jesus. I don't know what you do if that happened, but I'd be like putting up my dukes, right? All attempts to receive him have failed. The city has no place for him, so he lives amongst the tombs. These are subterranean caves where people are buried if you're poor, and maybe poor people live, and it's just a, not a great place. So Mark depicts, he pictures this guy in a way that reminds us of the storm. There's a storm going on in this guy's life. So that's important to understand. Both the storm and the man, by all appearances, cannot be controlled, except for Jesus. Jesus rebukes the wind. So what happens with this guy? No one was strong enough to subdue this guy, but Jesus, however, right? We go back to the beginning of Mark, what happens there? There's all kinds of quotes about Jesus, though, he can subdue the strong man. He has subdued the strong man. That's Satan, right? It's right out of John the Baptist, literally. Uh, Jesus is stronger, and, um, and he wrecks Satan's house and liberates those who've been taken captive. So two kingdoms collide here. Instead of attacking Jesus, the man bowed down, bows down before him. The man with supernatural strength knows that he is in the presence of a greater power. Just a little side note right here. I don't care what the evil, I don't care what the evil and awfulness of this world is. When evil faces Jesus, it knows Jesus is a greater power. Just remember that. That's what happens here. Unlike most of Israel, which sees but does not see him. You know, you go back to the parables. Israel sees, but they, most of them, but they don't see him. The unclean spirit, even from a distance, knows that the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. And Jesus commands the unclean spirit to come out of the man, but at the same time, make a note of this, appeals, Jesus appeals or listens to what, uh, excuse me, he listens to what Legion asks. He listens. So the man says, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God. I implore you by God, do not torment me. You know what this means is? Son of the most high God, uh, the most power, the superior name, you are superior to any God, God is, he appeals to, to Jesus that Jesus knows that God is merciful and he, and he kind of plays on that. The demon identifies Jesus not as the holy one of God, but as the son of the most high God, a, a greater title than that acknowledges Jesus's superiority. That's the big deal here. And the demon pleads for mercy by appealing to the disposition of the most high God. We know that God is merciful, so that's what he's appealing to. And, and he knows that Jesus will, knows that God is merciful. And so uh, uh, the demon wants Jesus to believe that the most high God would take no pleasure in the torture of any being, even an evil spirit. This is just like Satan, right? 
Even in, in the garden, when uh, Satan reveals himself in the serpent and he approaches Eve and, and Adam and he's like, no, 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 God's trying to hide. He's trying to speak on behalf of God as if he understands who God is and what God is all about, right? And it's deceptive. So he appeals uh, on, uh, like this. And so the demon tells Jesus, I implore you by God, do not torture me. The demon, he wants to avoid torture and he wants to avoid judgment and the finality of judgment. So the unclean spirit confesses that its name is Legion and that in actuality, it's many spirits. And Legion in military terms constitutes 6,000 troops. And military terms are really important here. Even a legion of unclean spirits has to submit to Jesus. That's a big deal. It is reduced to begging Jesus to send it out, uh, uh, to not send it out in, uh, of the region, but into a herd of nearby pigs. It's kind of nuts. So Mark, he doesn't really explain the reason for the request beyond the unclean spirit's impulse just to avoid torment. All right? But the the, the, it's, it's obvious that these unclean spirits have been influential in this Gentile land, in this region. They know the territory. They don't want to stay. Jesus grants the request, and the 2,000 pigs, under the influence of the Spirit, okay, under the influence of the Spirit, instead um, uh, destroys the pigs. It's kind of nuts, okay? So, the drowning of the pigs serves as a sign to the man that's being tormented that um, he's calmed the storm, um, that this is over, and um, I've settled all this. So the story of the demonic is in tandem with the story of the calming of the sea. It's an echo of the Exodus. Now, I, just, I don't want this to be too complicated, but the Exodus. So you know the Exodus is when God's chosen people, the children of Israel, right? They're in bondage and in slavery to Egypt. God utilizes Moses as his leader and his messenger to help deliver them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, right? Um, <clears throat> into, you know, this 40-year wandering thing, but it, into, in, into freedom, and they eventually, they have to cross the Red Sea, and in, uh, the Egyptians in pursuit are drowned, okay? Now, this echoes this exodus, this, despite the opposition. The new Israel, and really that's the church, does not drown in the sea. Egypt meets its demise in the case of the exodus, and the demons meet their demise in the case of the new exodus. Jesus crosses now the Sea of Galilee um, to this opposition. So Israel's separation from Egypt represents a military victory. Now you just need to know these little military stuff right here because the military terminology appears through this story. The word legion is used in connection with an army. The word herd is used of a group of military recruits. The word send is in connection with the Spirit's request of Jesus used as a dispatching troops kind of language. The word rushed, now the demon rushed him, and, is, and, and the word rushed is used another time, was used of, of a military charge. Okay, so by and large, Israel was hoping, now think about it, here's how it all comes together. Israel was hoping for a new exodus that amounted to victory over Rome. Why wouldn't they? Because Rome was oppressing these people. 
Rome was beating up on these people. Rome was like their enemy. Israel's hoping for all this. Israel's waiting for a Messiah to come in in a military fashion and set things straight. Israel is waiting for Rome to be driven off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. That's what they're waiting for. That's what they want. That's what they're after. And why wouldn't they? I'm not sure I wouldn't. Right? This is a mess, and they're being beat up on and all that kind of stuff, but they're not quite seeing it, are they? They're not quite seeing it. <clears throat> In Mark's story, the demonic legions, not Roman legions, are posing the threat. Okay? Not Roman legions. The new Exodus defeats Satan, not Gentiles. Not Gentiles. In fact, it rescues not just Israel, but, the, but all of these other folks that are not Jewish. Ordinary Jews would have nothing to do with the Gerasene man. He's a Gentile and he entertains unclean spirits. He lived among the dead. Jesus, though, isn't an ordinary Jew. And unlike most people in his time in that day who cling to nationalism, Jesus embraces Israel to bless the nations. He's like, look, this is the way it's going to be. I want Israel to be for everybody, to be the light to the nations. I want the church to be the light to the nations. And he becomes a preacher like Jesus, this guy does. And later in the gospel, Jesus would would be portrayed in a way that echoes the experience of the demonic. It's another echo. It's it's unbelievable here. The story of the demonic and the story of the death of Jesus are, are, are kind of intertwined right here. There's binding, there's nakedness, there's isolation, there's tombs. The demonic becomes like Jesus, and Jesus becomes like the demonic. It's rich. Now, let's just think about this a little bit. Is the world that we live in in pain? See, the world that this guy was living in was in pain. See how the demonic guy, he was in pain. The story of Jesus is tied together with a story from the man from the tombs. And the story of the church is likewise together, tied together with the pain of the world. Are we living in a world that is full of pain? I mean, it's unbelievable how the world is suffering and being tortured and and people are just really, really hurting and messed up and and, and it's, it's sad and it's wrenching and it's overwhelming all at the same time. Look at this. Jesus takes on Israel to be the light of the world and he shares it with us. If we, as a church and his followers, take on this venture to new territory, you got to feel sometime that there's a supernatural strength rushing you. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I can't, who am I? I can't handle this. I'm not, there's not enough of me. I'm not powerful enough. My story's not going to make a difference. I mean, it's overwhelming when I get ready to talk about Jesus with people, it's, it's like, it's, it's like there, there's no way I can see any, any way somebody's life being changed by mine. Everything within us wants to run the other way, I think, most of the time. And return to a place where we can believe the gospel while at the same time risk nothing for it. So we retreat to sort of safe places. Our world, though, suffers at the mercy of evil forces, just like this guy was suffering from um, evil forces. Many people live in isolation. Do you know anybody? Lots of people 
are, are, are living in dead places. No one's able to restrain the relentless storms in their life. They scream. People are screaming in our world in torment. Sometimes for the world to hear, sometimes no one hears, they feel like their only relief comes from cutting themselves or gnashing, right? Literally and philosophically, right? Figuratively. In other cases, people are assaulting themselves with condemning thoughts. People are in identity crises. People don't know who they belong to. They don't know where their place is, their purpose. They're suffering from all much stuff. If you talk to them about Jesus, they might say something like, well, you know, look, what business do you have with me? Why would you care about me? They don't trust anything that looks like love because they've been burned before. Do you know, do you know that as a staff, as a, a pastoral staff and, and leaders of our church, that we struggle sometimes with days like Father's Day and Mother's Day. You know why? We want to celebrate those things and the goodness of those things, but you know, there's so many people who have come from fathers who, are, who have abused them and messed them up so badly, or mothers, or the, that family stuff just is so hurtful that we kind of pull back sometimes and go, wow, we, we got to be really careful here because people are hurting so bad from that. You can hurt people in just the, uh, the, the whole idea of celebrating fatherhood or motherhood. People walk away. People have walked away from our church because we celebrate that kind of stuff and they're struggling with, 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 you know, with children or, 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 or having children or, or their just father just wrecked them. You know, just messed them up. And, 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 and that's the world that we're living in. People are suspicious of God talk. Man. They're afraid that if they allowed themselves to believe in Jesus, they'd only be setting themselves up for another letdown. If they're vulnerable enough to voice their feelings, they, they might even say something like this. I'm begging you, I'm imploring you by God. If God's who he is, you know, don't torment me by talking, by bringing all this stuff up. The man from the tombs gives us a picture of our world. It's a huge picture it's a clear picture, which is in the clutches of the evil one who enslaves people to dark spiritual, political, and economic powers of this world. Who are we to think that we, uh, you know, have something to say to the pain of the world? I find myself like that all the time. You just try going down to the gospel rescue mission and giving some sort of message of Jesus to to folks that are living on the street and they're struggling and struggling with mental issues and just, they're, they're, they're beyond at the bottom and walk away from that going, man, I had something great to say to those people because you find yourself like, I can't relate. This is awful. This is, I don't know what to do. It's, it, it's really hard to love folks in, the, in those scenarios. It, it, it's hard to connect and I, I walk away from that going, man, I want to be here and it's, this is good and I should and all these things, but this is overwhelming. Who are we to think that we can change the world's mind about Jesus and who he is? Well, the answers to these questions concern what we believe. The unclean spirits, and I'm going to get preachy. If you think I'm preaching now, you just wait. The unclean spirits that controlled the man from the tombs knew as they bowed on the shore before Jesus that they were in the presence of a greater power. And somehow we just forget that as Christ followers, uh, as the church. Like the evil is a greater power than the power of Jesus. It's ridiculous. 
They knew who they were dealing with, the son of the most high God, the evil forces in this world, the legions of demons that wage war against humanity and even Satan. The strong man himself are no match for the son of the most high God. None. But we, we, we forget that. Jesus has bound the strong man and he sends us out by the power of the Holy Spirit to wreck his house. That's our job. And to rescue captives. It's the one thing. It's one thing to, to, to embrace Jesus and give intellectual acknowledgement to the lordship of Jesus intellectually. People do it all the time. We know enough, we read enough, and, and intellectually we're there. But here's where it gets huge, right? It's another thing to believe in such a, a way that you raid enemy territory. If we do... If we trust in Jesus and confront the power of evil with the power of love, even the legions will be reduced to begging for mercy. Did you see that? They were begging for mercy. That's enormous. For those of us who've been lulled into believing, and we have, we're lulled into believing that the gospel is concerned mostly with getting you into heaven and helping you get your life together until then. I mean, you're sleeping if you think that's what the gospel is all about. No. This passage serves as a wake up. Here it is. You ready? Oh, it's going to get personal maybe for you. Make no mistake. We are in a war. We're at war. Some people, and, 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 and this is my battle. I, I, I really struggle with this. I str- not to get bitter, but just to get Calloused, I guess, because some people treat the church as if it were a cruise ship that caters to our needs. I get so sick of that. I got to tell you, it makes me angry. They treat the church like it's a cruise ship. Have you ever been on a cruise? You don't got to do anything. It all comes to you and it's presented for you, you know, and that's what we want. Lynn and I got to go on a cruise and it was, it was wonderful. We loved it. But you can just walk around with your cup, you know, and it's got a little thing on it. You just go around to all the machines and fill it up with whatever you want. You get off the boat and go into town and do all these things and all these places are like, oh, you're from the cruise ship? Here you go. It's for free, you know? They just give you anything you want. You, I mean, you've paid for it, but it's, it's everybody caters to you. Oh, there was a place by the pool in the Chase Lounges. It was an ice cream machine and I just sat there by that ice cream machine and I ate more ice cream cones than you could imagine. To the point where I was hiding it from Linda. I was just sneaky, you know. After a while, Linda was, you know, I, I got pretty good. She thought I was eating the same ice cream cone. I just wait till she turned, you know. Oh, that's the way people think. Now listen, don't make any mistake about this. We're at war. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. It's a battleship. Stop looking at the church like this. We have to make sure that we're looking at it as a battleship. This is a war. We want to provide good things to help everybody. I get so sick of how we're so consumer-oriented, though. It's not our objective to push the Democrats or the Republicans or the terrorists back into the sea and drown them. 
I don't care what side of the aisle you are on politically. That's not our job. That's not our mission. Our objective isn't to do that. Our objective is not to advance our Western style of democracy or the cause of any identity group that we belong to, be it national or ethnic or generational. That's not our job. What's our job? to tell people of what God has done for us, to give people the good news, to love people to Jesus. Our objective is to enter into the places in the world where evil forces are, 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 you know, enter into their arenas, whether, whether they're there or not, and bring those places the influence of the gospel so the power of love might prevail over the power of evil. And it will every time. It will every time. We speak truth, we act in love, we pray ceaselessly, right? We pray without ceasing. And God will win the war. In fact, the war has already been won. Don't forget that. The war has already been won in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our job by the power of the Holy Spirit is to implement the victory. Not to win it. It's already been won. Implement the victory. Along the way, you're going to watch a few demons go down and drown. I'm certain of it. You're also going to see a few tortured souls rise from the tomb. And that's exciting to be a part of. You want to look at this guy really quick. I don't want to go too much longer, but Jesus commissions a guy, uh, the former demonic, and he turns him into a preacher. <laughs> The word of this demonic liberation and the herds of pigs that died right there, that drowned, it spreads and people come from everywhere, wide and far, to see for themselves and they observe the condition of the former demonic and they become frightened. You remember how the disciples got frightened on the sea as he calmed the story? They're like, what in the world? Who is this guy? And they were afraid to death. Well, these guys get afraid, uh, 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 afraid either. Uh, uh, excuse me, afraid also. To their credit, the disciples responded to their, uh, to their fear with a question about Jesus' identity. After hearing about the death of the pigs, the locals are only interested in persuading Jesus to leave. Why? They see him as nothing more than a wonder worker who might have the power to wreak havoc on their economic and their religious systems. Maybe their political systems. <clears throat> they depended on the pigs for food and ritual sacrifices and everything else. So they're like, man, you, that was a huge waste. Look what you did. I mean, is this the way you're going to act? You're going to change everything. This could mess us all up, you're, you know, your beliefs. As if Brett Kavanaugh could do anything to change the direction of our world, no less our country. Like God is not in control of things. I don't care who's appointed to the Supreme Court. I don't give a rip who's appointed there. Is, God in, is, is Jesus the God of the Most High or not? You know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned and all that kind of stuff. What a circus. I'm so tired of it. That's the world that we live in. I want you to notice a couple of things, though. Did you see how Jesus, when the unclean spirits said, hey, you know, those that, that were not going to have it 
said, hey, let us, you know, go into the pigs. Jesus said, all right. And the community of people, when they witnessed what he did, you know what, uh, they, they said, you need to leave. You know what Jesus did? He said, okay. But you know who he said no to? This is crazy. The guy who was delivered from the demonic spirit, he said, he, at, at the end, right, he says, can I go with? I want to be with you. Jesus said, no. I got something I want you to do. Isn't that just the way it is? Right? Have you ever looked around you and went, man, everybody seems to get what they want. All these bad people and all this, they get what they want. It's like God just lets them do it, right? And that's true. But when it comes to me, I want to fulfill my passions. I want to do this. This is the way I'd like to see it happen. And every time I ask God, he says, no. <laughs> that's what happens to me. I'm like, God, why didn't you talk to me about this? I don't like the way this is going. I would have said, let's do it a different way. It would have been so much easier. I would have been better at it. I'm gifted this way. And God says, uh, I got something else for you to do. No. <laughs> Has he done that to you? That's exactly what he does. He confounds you if you surrender your life to Jesus. And if you try to make up your mind that you're going to do it your way, Look, the residents want Jesus to leave, so he complies. His followers want to leave with him, and Jesus says, no, what's up with this? The man telling everybody his story produces amazement. It turns out that Jesus' mission across the lake, the dangerous mission across the other side of the sea, turns out to be for the sake of only one guy. See that? Only one guy. That person evangelizes the region, Decapolis. That's huge. When Jesus returns to the regions, residents received him enthusiastically. When we get to chapter six, you're gonna see that. Everybody receives him enthusiastically. How come? Because this guy just went around preaching it and telling people. And so when, they, when Jesus showed up, they were like, I wanna meet you. I wanna see you. I, oh, one guy changes the region. One guy. One guy but we got to redefine evangelism a little bit because lots of people hear Jesus and they see the evidence of the power in their lives and, and of his followers, but they don't invite him into their life. Why? Because some people perceive Jesus as a threat to their own way of life. Okay. And if they welcome Jesus into their lives, they worry that he represents an outside force that's going to interfere with their ideas about money and spirituality and economics and political stuff and all that. The amazing thing is that the son of the most high God departs if people ask him to. You stiff-arm God? That's just another way of asking him to leave. You gotta be careful of that. He'll give you what you want. He has the power to cast out a legion of demons. He has the power to heal the sick, even raise the dead. With all that power, he doesn't force himself on anyone. He doesn't stay around if he's not wanted. When it concerns whether he stays or whether he goes, we have the power. See that? Wow. You have the power to welcome him, serve his purposes, please him. You have the power to send him packing as well and destroy yourself and break his heart. The Pharisees did that. They hardened their heart. Wow. You know, uh, the, the, the demon-possessed guy, 
who's freed now, he's like the good soil, though, isn't he? Took root, and what happened? 30, 60, 100 full, a whole region of people embraced Jesus. And by the way, no training. I mean, the guy just, the guy just started telling people what the Lord had done for him. No training. He didn't take a class. He didn't read a book. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, all right, all right, I'll do it. You got any uh, books or anything I can kind of, you know? You just need to be willing to tell people what the Lord has done for you. Did you see that? So what do you do for a world in pain? You tell people you know and people you meet, and the Holy Spirit will lead you and empower you what great things the Lord's done for you. Consider starting with just simple conversations, including the Lord in your conversation. You never know how much a simple word, I'm going to go back to last week, like a mustard seed will grow and overtake the heart of an individual even in an entire region. That's the whole point of that parable, right? <laughs> the gospel of Mark is not going to let us see discipleship apart from the mission uh, uh, from our mission to the world. He's not going to do it. It's all intertwined. If you want to be a disciple, you got to start telling people about Jesus. That's it. And you're not, you're not going to really grow. You're not going to really thrive. And you're not going to mature. You're not going to understand. You're not going to really get it. You're not going to be enlightened. You're not going to be as motivated until you start telling people about Jesus. It's all intertwined in the discipleship process. And this passage right here invites us to consider whether the Lord is asking us to bring the gospel to territory that's maybe new to you. And that seems hostile. There's going to be resistance and opposition. But it also assures us, don't forget this, of the, it, th this, this little narrative right here assures us of the superior power of the son of the most high God in the man from the tombs. He shows us a picture of a world that's in pain. So whether we respond to the invitation of the passage may depend on whether we see in the man from the tombs, not only a picture of the world, but maybe a picture of yourself. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been suffering and you feel tortured. You've been pretty messed up. You see how your story, though, when you surrender your life to Jesus, how your story connects to everybody else? I mean, can you imagine this guy walking around saying, look, let me tell you how it was. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, I was living over here. I was naked and slobbering at the mouth. I was just, I was not in control of anything I did. I was covered up and suffering. And, but, but let me tell you, this guy, Jesus, he changed my life. He had compassion and love for me. He went all the way across the sea just for me, just for me. He did that for me. I got to tell you, he absolutely changed my life. And like, I know, I watched it. I saw it. I saw you. you. I don't want to be around you. Nobody, you, yes, you had a reputation for being just, ugh. That is enormous. You see how it's connected? <clears throat> Whether we respond to the invitation of the passage depends on what we see in this guy from the tombs. And it starts with us. Our mission to the world begins with Jesus' mission to us. Jesus' risky mission to the other side of the sea, maybe um, it was for one person. What about you? Maybe it's just for one person. He's come to the other side of the sea to meet you and death, 
uh, in the death of your life, right? You die, your old life dies. And take on the worst of your afflictions and liberate you from the tombs. I don't know what you think you're done or what's going on in your life that you think that the son of the most high God can't change, but there's nothing, nothing that he can't change. <clears throat> you still have pain though. You'll have pain, there's no doubt, but it's pain with life. You're still gonna have pain, but it's pain with hope. The church is the hope of the world, by the way. We're the hope of the world. That's why we're out here. That's why we're in this community. That's why the church is here, because we bring hope. You're still gonna have pain, but it's pain with love. You're still gonna have pain, but it's pain with freedom. You're still gonna have pain, but it's pain with passion. And all that pain identifies with the pain of the world. Your story can connect to other people. That's for sure. So I got two questions for you. Here it is. You ready? It all comes down to this. Just think of it like this. What great things has the Lord done for you? Because that's all you got to do is tell people about that. How has he had mercy on you? Because I know how he's had mercy on me. Lord, I would be, I know the things that I would be without Jesus. That's all you got to do. Start telling people like that. You know, that's all that guy did. He started going around telling people what Jesus had done uh, of his great, the great things that he did in his life and the, of his mercy and his love. He gave him the good news. And he said, this is him. He's the man. He's the real deal. It happened. I mean, if he could change me. You know what I was doing? Oh, he changed me. Oh, nobody can argue with that. That's our mission and our mandate. Bow your head with me. Thank you, Lord. This is good stuff, these tombs. <laughs> Man, we're all, we've all been living there somewhere. Death, suffering, struggling. Oh, yeah, but I grew up in the church. I was practically born in the nursery. Oh, he saved you from stuff. If you know yourself, he, you know what he saved you from. <laughs> Thank you, God, for using this. Oh, help us to not treat the church like it's a cruise ship. Oh, We'd be so much more effective if we recognize and understand we're in a war and this is a battleship deployed to do battle. Use us, send us all kinds of places, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.